Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. My name is Rocky, and my guest name is Shirt Bimbo. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. This this is a this is going to be a fun one. We're talking about uh, M Night Shyamalan and his uh, his sort of renaissance. Um, yeah, it's an, I was actually I was actually just interviewed for uh, an article in Associated Press about the same topic, but it's um, it's interesting or. or alternative press <laughs> oh okay but i was gonna say like i was like wow like <laughs> the associated press that's pretty cool yeah no. i mean i mean all press is pretty cool too yeah no but um yeah so uh it's, it's gonna be fun we're gonna be sort of talking about you know i've, I've taken some notes usually i'll have you know in-depth notes on like the history of things since this is sort of a looser topic i sort of prepared some notes on like each of his films how they came to be nothing too um in-depth and we're just going to kind of talk about it i think okay uh, but cool. first there's our uh new segment dun 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 dun, dun what's pulpin and uh there is something that i wanted to talk about for that uh are you familiar with the dick tracy special I I do not know anything about the Dick Tracy special. Okay, well, are you familiar with Dick Tracy? Um, I'm familiar with the name Dick Tracy. I'm sure if you, like, gave me a reminder, I would remember who he is. Sure. Well, for the people at home as well, Dick Tracy is uh, a, a sort of classic uh, comic strip character. This, uh, you know, detective who, who has all these sort of brightly colored adventures, you know, his thirties and forties, um, one of these classic characters. And he had, uh, you know, a couple of films in the forties and so, you know, like a TV serial, I think. Um, but yeah, in 1990, Warren Beatty made a Dick Tracy movie that was like this very brightly colored musical comedy that, uh, is sort of polarizing. I think it's a pretty good, movie it did um get some oscar noms and all that uh so the thing is warren Beatty had the film rights to dick tracy and he did not want to let them go there was sort of talk of a sequel for a long time because the movie was successful um and that just kind of stalled after a certain point and so uh the I, I think the people who previous the the people who owned the rights to Dick Tracy the character, um, I think sued him. That you know this I might be there, there were there were legal issues at play here for sure where they um they 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 sued him. They were looking for a certain amount of damages and also a declaration over the rights. This was in the mid two thousands. By the time this happened, the Dick Tracy movie was back in nineteen ninety. So he was trying to get, you know he was holding on to that and talking about a sequel that whole time. And the judgment was basically that you know the rights would revert if he didn't do anything with the character after a certain point. Um, and so in two thousand ten, Warren Beatty made uh the Dick Tracy special. <laughs> which was a a uh, a TV special, a half hour TV special that aired on Turner Classic Movies once. Um, <laughs> it was it was shot in about two thousand eight. It uh, it aired late at night. There was really no promotion for it, and it had Warren Beatty in character as Dick Tracy being interviewed by Leonard Malton about the history of Dick Tracy in film. 
Oh my god. Okay. Like, uh, you know, after hearing all that, I realize now, no, I had no idea who Dick Tracy was. I, I thought you were talking about a real man, like a, like mm. some, like, uh, old time filmmaker or something. Sure. Well, it's interesting you say that because the, the sort of, the idea of <laughs> that special is that, it's it's the real Dick Tracy, played by Warren Beatty, commenting on portrayals of Dick Tracy, including Warren Beatty's portrayal of him in the movie. And, you know, oh sort of having a, 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 you know, he doesn't like the Warren Beatty Dick Tracy, he thinks it's too over the top, and he likes the old school, you know, black and white ones. And so that special aired. Uh, prob- very few, if anyone, watched it at the time. It ended up on YouTube, and then people started talking about it more. Um, last night, as we were recording this, Dick Tracy released- Warren Beatty released the second Dick Tracy special. Last night? Last night, uh, 12 years after the previous one. Okay, okay, so, wait, let me get this straight. When did the first Dick Tracy air? The first Dick Tracy movie of Warren Beatty's came out in 1990. Okay. Uh, I was thinking, like, I was thinking, like, silent film. I am- uncultured which makes me great for this movie podcast it, it, it'll be great <laughs> so there were there were like black and white dick tracy movies in the 40s but yeah. warren Beatty made his dick tracy in 1990 he was already a little old to be playing dick tracy at the time um and uh when he did the first special he was like in his 70s now he's 85 years old um releasing the second dick tracy special it's called tracy zooms in and oh tracy uh, zooms in i i watched it live i think it's a very rich text um it, you know the first thing that warren Beatty has directed and like in the, that since rules don't apply actually it's like six years but it, it's so <laughs> the premise is um <laughs> ben mankowitz uh has been contacted by dick tracy to get on a zoom call um and 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 talk about something and he doesn't know what and so he and leonard malton are are kind of are kind of talking about what could be going on and they're watching clips from that old interview and sort of marveling at it and then dick tracy once again played by warren Beatty, gets on the zoom call and basically says that he wants to be more specific about what he doesn't like about the warren Beatty dick tracy movie and he's sort of talking about how you know he's sort of playing this this kind of this kind of conservative character who's like you know the message of Dick, of my life my story is that crime doesn't pay and in this movie it seems like crime sometimes does pay and crime's a serious matter you shouldn't be making jokes about it and then he talks about having missed a uh you know he was trying to have a meeting with warren Beatty when they were doing the movie and warren Beatty skipped out on it and so Leonard Malton calls Warren Beatty <laughs> and gets Warren Beatty on the Zoom call with Dick Tracy, who is played by Warren Beatty. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And Kinda Warren Beatty and Dick Tracy. <laughs> getting some kind of Eddie Murphy situation going on. 
Literally. And Warren Beatty and Dick Tracy get into this argument about <laughs> about Warren Beatty's Dick Tracy movie. Uh, and he sort of goes on this whole diatribe about how if you're going to do Dick Tracy, you should do something new with it. It should be more serious. You should have other people involved. It should, you know, it can still have these cartoony elements, but it should be more real. It should be about, you know, how crime doesn't pay. Um and then at the end, they the two of them kind of reconcile, and we get this this sort of closing shot of the two of them having dinner together at the polo lounge, which they were they were supposed to do back in the eighties. Um, and it's it, yeah. <laughs> That's their, why are they? What is this for? Who is this for? It's for ultimately, it's for Warren Beatty to keep the rights to Dick Tracy, which he never intends to do anything with. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, he's just renewing his shit. Oh my god, yeah. Uh, what was the name of this uh, this new special again? It's called Tracy Zooms In. Why? Um, why is it named like a uh, Overwatch character announcement? <laughs> Like, like announcing the newest member of Smash Bros, uh, Dick Tracy. I would love that. I would love to see Dick Tracy in the Super Smash Bros. God, uh, what what is Dick Tracy's deal? I think he's like a a detective or just like a hard boiled cop. Uh, he's 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 a sort of a hard boiled cop character. His signature look is like a a big yellow brimmed hat and matching coat. Um, like the and, uh, like the the man from Curious George. Very much so. And um, <laughs> his villains will have like you know there'll be these kind of cartoony characters with like messed up faces and all that. And in the movie, they did like makeup effects for all those. And you know, there's there's a scene that that dick tracy comments on and tracy zooms in where warren Beatty as dick tracy uh hits seven guys with one punch that's sort of the vibe of of the dick tracy movie it was sort of in the aftermath of the tim burton batman oh that's crazy though if you could take out seven guys with one punch Mm -hmm. that's one guy for every day of the week it's true (laughs) yeah and that's what you need sometimes you need to knock out a guy for every day of the week, but you got like a really busy week. Yeah, you like yeah, I don't have time to knock out a guy every day. Yeah. You got like you got appointment. You got to get to the bank and like if you knock a guy out at the bank, then you go to prison. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, it's you have cool. to be you have to get like a few feet away from the bank. Yeah, I think there's like a twenty foot rule, like with smoking. Uh, if you're twenty feet away from a bank, at least you can legally mm-hmm. knock a guy out. It's true. <laughs> there's no, there's no other establishment that has that rule. So yeah, as long no. as you're, it's as really long crazy. As you're not near the bank. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's totally fine. I've watched a lot of movies. So yeah, um, Dick Tracy special, Tracy zooms in. I believe it is already up on YouTube. Um, I, I can't imagine anyone bothered to take it down. So you can go ahead and watch that, uh, people listening. It is, again, just a really rich text. Um, and, and like kind of genuinely interesting in a lot of ways. And also just, just the most insane thing you've ever watched. Man, I really gotta watch this having never seen any other Dick Tracy content. So, M. Night Shyamalan. M. Night Shyamalan. To begin with, I would like to hear a little bit about 
your own history with Shyamalan, maybe when you first became aware of him, which of his films you've seen, how you sort of connect to him, all that. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, for me, uh, Shyamalan has been around, like, forever, you know? Um, and I've honestly, uh, I mean, probably just because, like, my parents or older siblings were into these movies, uh, but, like, you know, when I was younger, I saw Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, uh, and I really, like, I loved Unbreakable. That was one of my favorite movies. Um, Sixth Sense was a little scary for me, to be honest. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know how old I was. Um, I don't know how old I am now. But, uh, yeah, the ghosts and, like, just, like, a little dead girl by the side of the car. That's my biggest fear, is seeing a dead child who's walking around. Um, or just, like, a middle-aged dead woman. Uh, <laughs> but, um... Your, your, your biggest fear is seeing dead people, so it's really not like, the movie for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, but, uh... I, uh, oh, and signs, of course, you know, uh, yeah. I think, um, signs I didn't like as much as the other ones, but I probably would like a lot more now that I'm older, you know, cause I feel like it's a little more, um, well, I was going to say it's a little more understated, but based on really nothing, uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, and then like, you know, um, I saw the happening in theaters when it came out. Uh, and back then I didn't like it. I thought it was like pretty, I don't know. I just didn't like it. Uh, but like now looking back at it, I honestly don't think it was that bad. I, I think a lot of the parts that I didn't like were like purposefully a little campy or a little goofy. Like I think. Uh, I've noticed I watched old last night uh, for the second time to prepare for this. And I I love old, Um, but uh, I think like it was, it seemed like, you know, his, his old thing before everybody knew him as the the guy with the twist. Um, But this like didn't really have any kind of twist. And I guess people might have been waiting for that. I know Uh, what, do you know what year that came out? happening yeah that was 2008 2008 so that was 15 years ago Mm -hmm. i was 12 years old dude so like not the kind of person who was like very critically evaluating movies um (laughs) but uh like i don't know uh it seemed like a pretty cool shift to like it seems now like it was a pretty cool shift to like much more concept-based stuff uh, that I honestly saw a lot of, like, the same themes that he established in The Happening, like, occurring in old, but, like, in a lot more subtle ways. I don't know. Um, I I think I'm going to try The Happening again soon and, like, reevaluate it from this age. I just love his concepts, you know, like, you know, it's interesting because I actually haven't seen some of the, you know, supposedly juiciest of the Shyamalan movies. Like you, I definitely grew up with him just being like a, like a household name. Yeah. Um, I was definitely aware of The Sixth Sense. I feel like that's sort of one of the first movies you become aware of. 
Um, Honestly, yeah. It's like, (laughs) if you were born, like, uh, I don't know, uh, when were you born? I'll establish it based off of that. 99. Oh, shit. You're younger than me. Uh, So I'll say if you were born, like, after 95, you were just kind of born with the knowledge that the sixth sense exists and, like, a Mm -hmm. loose structure of its plot. (laughs) Yeah. And, um... Yeah, I mean, you know, I was probably, I think I was 10 or 11 when The Last Airbender came out. And so that was sort of, that was the talk of the town. (laughs) I never saw that. I'm never going to see that. Yeah, I ended up seeing it eventually, but I I have not seen the show. So I'm I'm really, uh, maybe I am the the audience for it, actually. Yeah, no, you might actually be (laughs) the audience for it. Because I saw the previews and like... They just, for some reason, they pronounced Aang completely differently than they do in the show. And, like, yeah, I don't, I don't know why exactly, but, like, that's, that's just the character's name in, like, the, the main, you know, the main way to consume it. So I don't know. A lot of weird stuff going on there that we can get into. Um, I think the first Shyamalan, that I mean, I, I think from the point of Last Airbender, I was following when new Shyamalan movies were coming out. The first one that I sort of saw when it came out was Split. Oh um, yeah, I saw that on my computer. There, there are things I like about it, but uh, it's obviously um, conceptually <laughs> it's, a little a little off. It's conceptually a little off. I was I was honestly surprised with how like I don't know. Um, he did not seem to be interested in, like, the actual, uh, I, I don't know, it didn't seem that wholly interested in, like, the, the multiple personality disorder, uh, it almost seemed like that was, like, a shitty explanation that the, the doctors in the movie came up with, uh, mm-hmm. but is it, is it that one, or, um, Glass, where, like, the 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 people no it's glass where the people at the the mental hospital are like i don't i don't even know what that was kind of weird but yeah conceptually split is a weird choice but it, it it's a a great performance if nothing was, else honestly it wasn't a terrible performance i was like i was surprised yeah. i was like this guy is honestly not bad at portraying like different vibes I, I think, you know, that was the moment, just the first one that I saw when it came out, I feel like that was the moment where I was like, there's something really interesting about the way this guy directs. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I think I saw things immediately that was like, I understand how someone could see this and be like, this guy's an amateur, he doesn't know what he's doing. But it's it, it feels so intentional, the way that yes. the composition and the performances and the dialogue is all unreal in a way that... As I watched his other movies, I was like, this this follows consistently through each one. Yes, I was actually, like, when I was watching Old and taking down notes, like, I don't know if you're thinking of the same things I am, but, like, I was like, yeah, a lot of his, like, goofier choices and stuff are, like, pretty consistent choices that I think, like, aren't bad choices, you know? Yeah. I remember, uh, I think it was, uh, something that was said on Blank Check where, where one of them was like, in response to people being like, normal people don't talk like that. Normal people also don't go to beaches that make you old. <laughs> like, yeah, like, uh, 
I I I think um the way the kids talked in old like was really realistic. His his stuff is all like really high concept, you know. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the times, it seems like the way people talk comes like as like a necessary part of the plot. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it's either and you know like like you were saying about how the kids talk, he kind of knows when to drop it too. Yeah, exactly. Like uh I think what was cool about old was the kids were like a little precocious, so like they talked a little bit like more mature for their age, which or I don't know what the word. They they were a little more articulate, you know, mm-hmm. than like little kids are usually, uh but they still like had the same cadence and the same like walking up to people and just being like what's your name and occupation you know like yeah uh, and when he first meets the other child idlib uh at the island and he's like he's just like starts telling him how many action figures he has or whatever as like their establishing dialogue is like super like i've heard i've i've done that when i was a kid i've heard kids do exactly that yeah i think old is my favorite of his films the ones that i've seen are um everything since split so split glass old and knock at the cabin and then i also have seen the sixth sense and unbreakable but the ones that but the ones in the middle i haven't seen okay uh i'd say unbreakable is still my like huge nostalgia pick but like of yeah of the like Shyamalan renaissance or whatever uh I think old is definitely my favorite um I have not seen knock at the cabin I thought that was coming out like next month um Mm -hmm. but I am very excited to see it it's real good yeah I I was hoping so like I saw the Rotten Tomatoes reviews weren't great but they are never nice to Shyamalan's movies so like Like, I don't know. I think just being someone who likes Shyamalan, I'm excited for it. Yeah, it is very, um, it it might be his, like, most mature movie. Like, it's very, uh, you know, kind of thoughtful and dramatic. Um, it has a very different, it's based on the book, Gavin at the End of the World, and it goes in a very different direction from where the book goes, which I think fans of the book were upset about. Um, because it, you know, the, the book sort of ends on an uncertain note and the movie ends with a more definitive narrative thing. Mm. But I, as I was thinking about it, I was just like, you know, it, it's about this sort of trolley problem thing. And I think Shyamalan is, is not so interested in the ambiguity of the narrative as, as he is the ambiguity of like, you make a choice and then you have to live with that. Yeah. And I really just think like, I, I, you know, I, I like movies that make me ponder and, and, you know, have these, have these questions and want to see it from different angles. Um, but I, and I just think that Shyamalan's films are always almost as fun to think about as they are to watch. Yeah. I, uh, I think he like, I mean, old also has like kind of a trolley problem situation. Uh, so like, I'm glad to see he's like, continuing in this vein because i think like sorry to just keep talking about old that's just like the main one i've seen i've seen it twice recently you know um but like if if like you look at it like in like a twisted way um 
you could see why the like the medical people uh or scientists and researchers could delude themselves into thinking they were doing the right thing uh but like um he includes like a lot of like honestly like they seem uh subtle at first and like feel like they could easily be missed or maybe i'm just like a dense viewer you know um but like on the second watch like when um the guy at the end like the owner of like warren and warren or whatever the company is called um is like uh nature made that beach for us to find you know it's just like such a absolutely like gross uh like expression of like how pharmaceutical companies and like people like delude themselves into thinking they're like i don't know uh not just pharmaceutical companies basically like any company in like the uh search for profits will make themselves think that they're like doing the right thing or like uh following their you know god offered uh path um when they're just like exploiting shit for their own personal gain that was like not nearly as eloquent as it was in my head, but you kind of get like a vibe from that, you know? Yeah, that's exactly right. And I definitely think that those themes continue in Knock at the Cabin. I think there's a very, there's a very clear like climate change, you know, mm-hmm. vibe in old. Um, oh yeah, climate change and like, yeah, just like the exploitation of nature and this idea of like you know tr- trying to trying to raise your kids in 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 like a world that seems like it's heading in a bad direction and i oh, feel yeah. like in old th- there's so much there's so much cool camera shit in old but like there is th- there's this idea there's so many things that are like unseen and there's this idea of like this kind of looming threat like you know when 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 people are are kind of aging or having things related to aging happen in real time we're never looking at them when those things are happening um oh yeah it's always like once they're off screen then there's a problem with them yeah and i feel like old is sort of you know about these these sort of looming threats that you know you feel like you can't do anything to stop and knock at the cabin is sort of like if if you had the chance to stop it but you had to make this ultimate sacrifice you know what what would you do and then not only that, but how would you live with yourself? And yeah, I just think it's a really interesting progression. I think you see that in, in like the, the recent run of Shyamalan where in increasingly, you know, obviously a, a lot of his movies are about kids and parents. Um, and I think he's just, you know, searching, searching for optimism in, uh, in, in, in a, a world that feels increasingly scary. Um, and yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's great stuff yeah um and uh what you're saying about like uh old obviously having to do with like climate change and stuff um i think that's why like i like it and was thinking about the happening when i was like watching it because like the happening was like i i mean even though i was like you know 12 when i saw it it was like very on the nose you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like it was very obvious it was very like directly we we became a danger to the plants and now they're killing us you know 
Um, whereas, like, I feel like Old had, like, so many themes going on, too, that, like, he was able to weave in the climate change narrative in a way that, like, felt a lot more, like, poignant uh, while not being as, like, one-dimensional. You know what I mean? Totally. Happening is one of the ones I haven't seen, but what I've read about it (laughs) is that it's, you know, very intentionally, you know, building off of these, like, paranoia b-movies of the 50s and 60s body snatchers and and, yeah and things in that sort of realm and um you know i i see how that tone could put people off at first and i also see how that 50s sort of nuclear terror could be could easily become you you know mapping that onto a climate change movie is something that i think is a, a really good idea yeah um I think I agree. <laughs> cool. If I understand. So I have these notes, like I said, that sort of go through Shyamalan's career, and I feel like that'll be a good sort of ground for talking about Shyamalan's resurgence itself and, and you know, what that means and how it happened and all that. Yeah. So Shyamalan uh, was born in India, but grew up in Lower Marion, Pennsylvania, uh, he was raised Hindu and attended Catholic school, but didn't consider himself religious. Wait, one uh, sec. He's not from Philly? He is is from very close to Philly. <laughs> he is from the Philly suburbs. Okay. And, uh, you know, yeah. Okay. Spent, uh, I think, I think as an adult, uh, mostly lives, mostly lives and lived in Philly. And okay, all his films yeah. shot in Philly, but, uh, yeah, I grew up in the suburbs. All right, cool. Sorry, I just wanted to establish that. Yeah, so at a young age, he received a Super 8 camera, became interested in filmmaking. For a long time, all of his movies, DVDs, had, like, films that he shot when he was a kid that he felt were, like, relevant to the movies he ended up making, like, the sort of initial spark of them. That's really cool. He went to Tisch and was a National Merit Scholar. He created his first film, Praying with Anger, in school, using uh, money borrowed from friends and family. And then his next film, Wide Awake, got picked up by Miramax. It was a a, a sort of existential comedy about a, a 10-year-old Catholic schoolboy searching for God after his grandfather's death. I, I haven't seen that one, but... I have uh, never... I, I, uh, I don't know if I've heard of that. Yeah, it's sort of, you know, pre-Sixth Sense, so it's sort of not as uh, known. But he yeah. also, that same year, co-wrote the films Stuart Little and She's All That. Really? Yes. How did I he, not know this? You didn't know that he wrote Stuart Little? No. Or he's all <laughs> that. But, like, the Stuart Little one, I feel like somehow that honestly, like, really fits into the canon of, like, Shyamalan movies. You know, yeah. like, because Stuart Little's not a mouse. It's a human boy who just looks like that. Yeah. I I, I would love to watch Stuart Little as a Shyamalan movie <laughs> now yeah. that you bring it up. I honestly want to see him do like a fully Shyamalan remake of Stuart Little. That would be horrifying. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the thing, you know, Stuart Little is sort of this famous thing that, you know, be- became sort of a, 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 a meme where people would be like, <laughs> you know, Shyamalan, people would just Google who wrote Stuart Little and it was up by Shyamalan. Um, She's All That was something that came out more recently. He was a ghostwriter on that. So he sort of came in and uh, and rewrote it. Um, 
it, it's you know not really there's sort of disputes about how much of it is is his writing but he definitely punched it up at the very least okay so more of a contributor yeah Stuart little he, he fully wrote <laughs> that's amazing i'm and this was this was still before the sixth sense and all that right yeah i think Stuart little maybe came out the same year as the sixth sense but <laughs> yeah it, it was <laughs> just imagining him working on both <laughs> that's so good it's great so um he he also at you know he wrote the sixth sense as a spec script and he was sort of sending it around and david vogel an executive at disney was so impressed by the script that he picked it up for three million dollars without consulting the studio <laughs> oh my god <laughs> that's so cool king shit yeah so disney fired him <laughs> no Oh my god! <laughs> didn't, they, didn't they make it though? They sold the rights to Spyglass oh. Entertainment, but they were like, "While we have it, let's just keep a little bit off the top." <laughs> let's just yeah, let's just take some. I mean, fuck, this idiot bought it, but let's get some for ourselves, just in case. They they kept uh, I think I think like an eighth of the box office and distribution rights, so all the home video releases are disney god damn like that's so fucked up they got rid of the guy <laughs> who got them that yeah like come on i mean fuck protocol it's a good movie he was right yeah <laughs> it's pretty funny though <laughs> To be like, I mean, just getting to that point as an executive at Disney and being yeah. like, you know what? They're going to like this. I'm going to pick it up. <laughs> like, yeah. Sight unseen. He's like, you know what? I know I know what's best for Disney. And they were like, maybe, but we don't like that. So fuck off. So um, the film had a budget of like $40 million, which is pretty big for for a yeah. you know, fairly unknown director um that sort of thing probably wouldn't happen now but uh well he had Stuart little under his belt so like he did he did have Stuart little yeah that was yeah it. it uh had really strong word of mouth especially related to the twist and um just off of that it had a 26 million dollar opening weekend it went on to gross 672 million dollars making it one of the 100 highest grossing films of all time let's go we love to see it. We love to see it. Good for your boy. Yeah, like I said, old is my favorite, but I do think that The Sixth Sense is his like capital G great movie. Yeah, wait. Um just uh do you know how much Stuart Little made at the box office? I can find out right now. Yeah, please tell me. It did uh 300 million. Oh, let's go. Uh Pretty good. It's pretty good, but Sixth Sense blew it out of the water. Yeah, Sixth Sense is no contest. It's it's just the better Shyamalan film. Of of those two, yeah. Yeah. That era of Shyamalan was really strong, honestly. Totally. It was also nominated for six Oscars. Sixth Sense, that is, not Stuart Little. Yeah. <laughs> Man, Including did it win any get, of them? Um, did, did Sixth Sense win any of its Oscars? It was nominated for, like, picture and director. I think it did win screenplay. Let me uh, double check that. That's a really good screenplay. It should have won if it didn't. Um, yeah, because that's like also that's like the Shyamalan movie, you know. Yeah, it did not win any Oscars. That's fine. 
I don't know what it was yeah. up against, but I'll I'll judge that later. Yeah, I think it was. Um, let's see, the screenplay award of that year went to American Beauty. Yeah, it should have won. Oh, okay. but it was also up against like Magnolia and Being John Malkovich. Um, oh, ninety nine okay. was, was a crazy year. So man, yeah. Being John Malkovich ruled. Yeah, that's a good movie. <laughs> You're telling me, yeah. Yeah, just unrelated to the Shyamalan stuff. That's a great movie. Yeah, it is. I'm just looking at this now, and it's like, American Beauty swept, and it's like, this is the year The Matrix came out. Like, like okay. there's so many things. That, that, that was a be fucking here. hard year. Other than American Beauty. Um, I've actually never seen American Beauty. I don't even know what it's about. Yeah, I haven't and don't really <laughs> but so uh, like just from this this you know sample of us two Shyamalan's yeah. more well known yeah i mean you know 99 was just a crazy crazy year there's, there's yeah. so much more to, to to talk about fight club was that year too which we talked about on the show oh man 99 was golden yeah fight club is also a movie i love that's like i know like you know all the stuff but like Man, I really like that one. Fight Club's real fucking good. Yeah. Uh, Sixth Sense also made the 2007 AFI list of the 100 greatest American films, and the 2013 WGA list of the 101 best screenplays of all time. Oh, wow. Good for him. Yeah. After The Sixth Sense. Well, do we have anything else? <laughs> do we have any other thoughts on The Sixth Sense? I mean, it's really good. Um, Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. Bruce Willis was bred the whole time. Yeah. That little kid has was it was H- good in Haley the stuff Joel he was in. Yeah, yeah. That little I robot just saw him in boy. something. He is in uh, the new Dave Franco flick, somebody I used to know, which I saw um, at a pre-screening that Dave Franco and Allison Brie were in attendance of, Ooh. Uh, which was cute. And um, yeah, didn't love the movie, but Haley Joel Osment is really funny in it. I uh, I'm probably not going to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's not 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 necessary. Um, sorry, Dave. But sorry, Dave. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the thing that I've heard said about the Sixth Sense is that if it didn't have the twist, it would still be a great movie, which I I yes. think is true. It was it was like yeah, it was a good movie all the way through. It's one of those things. It's sort of like Star Wars, where it's like it's a bummer that no one is ever going to experience that twist for the first time again because it's oh my just God. like yeah. You, like, you you come you come out the womb and it's like Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. Yeah, like the doctor. That's the first thing the doctor says to you before burping you. It's really fucked up. Yeah, they should stop doing that. So after the Sixth Sense, everyone wanted a piece of Shyamalan. Wait, including Steven. Sp- what's that? I have to retcon something I said earlier. I said any child born after ninety five was born with knowledge of the Sixth Sense. Um, mm-hmm. Knowing now that that came out in 99, I would just like to reaffirm <laughs> my belief in that statement. Okay, let's get Still true. It's yes. still true. <laughs> so after Sixth Sense, everyone wanted a piece of M. Night Shyamalan, including Steven Spielberg, who uh, signed him on to write the fourth Indiana Jones movie um, in Wait, about the year 2000. Uh, well, it, it this one didn't end up happening. It ended up being Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Ugh. But uh, with Shyamalan, it fell through. He says that, you know, he met with Spielberg, he met with Lucas, he met with Harrison Ford, but, like, it was impossible to get all four of them on the same page. Oh, man. You know, if they had kept Shyamalan, Crystal Skull might have been good. 
Yeah, it wouldn't have been revered, but yeah. it, it, it probably, probably could have been good. Did, was Kingdom of the Crystal Skull revered? Uh, no. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say that I thought that was like, I thought I was pretty like with the mainstream and thinking that was a flop. Yeah, there are things I like about it. I saw it at, on, as a birthday party thing and mm-hmm. I hated it. So it ruined my birthday. Uh, and so I forever have a grudge against it. It didn't ruin yeah. my birthday. The birthday was fine. Shyamalan was also attached to direct uh, a new film called Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Jeez. He uh, ultimately chose to direct another original, Unbreakable. Uh, yes! But... Let's go! Unbreakable Billions! <laughs> <Yeah>, the... <laughs> it's oh, fucking good. It's, such, it's, so mu- it's a much better movie, too. He, you know, they would keep asking him at, uh, at every interview, you know, would you be interested in, in doing another Harry Potter thing? And he, like, as recently as 2007, he was like, yeah, I'd love to do Harry Potter. But I think that ship is probably safe. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't think he wants to associate himself with that. Absolutely not. I don't I think he's ever going to do a, uh, I don't think he's ever going to do a franchise film again either. Yeah. Uh, what what franchise films has he done? Uh, Last Airbender. Oh, of course. And then the, uh, I guess Glass is the other one. I guess that counts, but that's that's an original still. Like that's his you know, that's his franchise. It's his yeah. franchise, and like I hope he understands now that like probably best to let that franchise rest. Yeah, and I think Glass is like a pretty definitive comment. Like here's everything Shyamalan thinks about franchise films. You yeah. Know? He uh, wrote Unbreakable during production of The Sixth Sense, um, and he wrote it with Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson specifically in mind. And I think uh, I, I think Bruce Willis, like, after Sixth Sense came out, Bruce Willis, like, you know, went out to dinner with Samuel L. Jackson, and he was like, "This guy, I just this this guy I just worked with on this Oscar nominated movie has a script for you," and, oh, and you know, it's pretty easy. To- yeah, that's really good. <laughs> Uh, I, like, Shyamalan's good at retaining actors, you know, that he's, like, worked with and, like, working with them again. It's true. For the most part, I, I was in a voice acting class where we were visited by this woman who was the other talk show guest in Joker. Oh, okay. And she was also in The Sixth Sense. And, um... She, uh, you know, didn't have nice things to say about Shyamalan. Oh, really? She, she just said he wasn't talented. Oh, okay. Oh, well, like, I was worried you were gonna say, like, like, that she said he, like, was, like, uh, a shitty, like, a really rude director or something. Like, no. Okay. It was just, just an opinion on his. Well, I disagree. So, yeah, there. So, uh, Shyamalan offered Disney a first look deal. Uh, they ultimately bought the script for a record breaking $5 million. Wow. Is that a lot? It, yeah, for a script. Oh, um, yeah, just I, for I, the script. It, it, yeah, at the time it broke the record. Okay. For what movie? Uh, I zoned for out. Unbreakable. Oh, thank you. I zoned out for half a second. Forgot what we were talking about. Sure. Unbreakable was released in 2002. Solid reviews. Um, was uh 
you know, people said it had a, a weaker twist than The Sixth Sense. That was what that was already what everyone was waiting for. They just wanted the twist. Yeah. It's a it's a good movie all the way through. Like, you know? Yeah, Unbreakable's good. And like uh the twist, honestly, like it's more of a cliffhanger than a twist. But uh no, Unbreakable ruled and the twist was great, and all those people are wrong. It uh, opened in second behind How the Grinch Stole Christmas. No! <laughs> no way! Isn't you that movie, like, isn't that movie, like, universally, like, panned? Uh, it's sort of 50-50. I think okay. more so than the Cat in the Hat movie, people have a fondness for like, it. Okay, the Cat in the Hat movie is the one that got, like, really, uh, shitted on, basically. Um, yeah, the the Grinch movie is like equally bizarre in some ways, but I think the fact that it's a Christmas movie just makes people I more mean, ready to accept it. I love the Grinch movie. I uh, I forced my partner to watch it this last Christmas. Um, yeah, they did not love it that much, uh, but I had a really good time. And so like, I like it. I like how horny and kind of Tim Burtony it is. Oh <laughs> it's God. like a, it's a fun time. It is, it is a little too horny at times, I will bit. say, the way he, like, straight up launches face first into, like, the woman's cleavage, and just, like, <laughs> like, they hold on that for a second. I, yeah, I don't know, but... Yeah, directed by Ron Howard. Ron Howard. What else he do? He did, uh, A Beautiful Mind. Oh, okay. And, uh... Trying to remember any Ron Howard movies. Splash, Cocoon, Willow, Apollo 13. I um, saw Beautiful Mind. If any of those other things I'm supposed to have seen, like, as a person, n- nobody's allowed to judge me. Sure, he did Da Vinci Code. He's he's sort of oh. known for being, like, a guy who can sort of do different genres and turn around a really sturdy product. But he also did How the Grinch Stole Christmas. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Well, he nailed it on that one. He did. I, I that was the thing with Solo too, where they you know got in a spat with uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller who were doing it, and then Disney was like, "Let's just get Ron Howard because he's someone who can he'll turn just, it around." Yeah, he'll make a solid <laughs> film, and you know, it's got legs. It it it, it you know stands. <laughs> I mean, shit, like uh, with a name like Ron Howard, you kind of expect him to turn out exactly a decent movie Shyamalan partially blames the film's failure the Unbreakable's relative failure on Disney's decision to market it as a psychological thriller rather than a comic book movie oh interesting it yeah I basically I basically I I mean you know it's a very dramatic and you know sort of like like the modern idea of a comic book movie is something that's like a self-parody and Unbreakable is very much not that but I think if it had been if it had been marketed that way, I do, you know, I do think it would have landed better. I mean, I guess, like, I'm probably just, like, I have more of a modern sense of comic book movies, or, like, the mm-hmm. more of a, not modern, but, like, an MCU sense of what those are. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like uh, it is kind of, like... It's not necessarily, like, one, uh, entirely a psychological thriller, but it's, like, a lot more, like, understated than most comic book-type movies. Yeah. And I actually think that's part of the reason that it's had, like, you know, there's obviously a whole Shyamalan reassessment that we're getting into, but I think part of the reason that 
Unbreakable in particular has had a strong reassessment to where like Time called it one of the best superhero movies of all time. I think um, I definitely agree with that. You know, part of that is the you know ensuing the direction that comic book movies headed in i think allowed people to sort of look at unbreakable in a new light yeah that makes sense uh and i mean like you know um there's watchmen which is like kind of like got like similarly uh i mean not very similarly but kind of similarly like gritty vibes mm-hmm. but uh i don't know i guess like it just um it doesn't seem like it seems like a uh, non-Marvel or DC comic book type movie, and I don't just mean like MCU or you know the DCU. I don't know if they call it that or uh, DC Film Universe, whatever. The uh, the it was the DCEU. Now the future James Gunn version is the DCU. Okay, um, great stuff. This is confusing. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just like, um, it very much still would have felt like an alt-superhero movie, if that makes any sense. For me, the big thing with it is it it sort of feels more like just a studio drama than anything else. Yeah. And they really, like, they really don't make a lot of movies with that tone anymore. He got done with Unbreakable, it made enough money, and he was like, let's hit the ground running, I already have a script, gave it to Disney, they bought it. Um, Damn, he's just like, he drops a script finished filming and it's like i got another script let's keep going yeah i mean he basically kept up doing a movie every two years for his entire career that's fucking insane the i mean yeah even with you know the 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 rises and falls he still managed that i like that like he's an ideas guy you know he's always coming up with high concept stuff but like he also like seems to obsessively follow through on them yeah absolutely it's very it's really cool i'm i'm always coming up with ideas but i do not follow through on them like Shyamalan. yeah and there are very few like unrealized projects of his there's things he was attached to like indiana jones and harry potter but Mm -hmm. like pretty much other than there's one thing that we're going to get into a bit where it was like after after earth flopped they you know it was a whole thing but we'll get into it signs i have not seen oh i saw signs i was very young though like maybe younger than 10 um i i remember parts of it um i remember swing away you know uh, everybody knows that line i probably um i think i remember the scary movie parody of signs more than the actual movie signs but yeah i mean that was a good one yeah i've heard very positive things about signs recently that make me want to go back and watch it i do um there's a scene in signs actually i just you just like just now remembered this was from signs where the uh i think it's a woman is trying to see under the door with a knife um to see if she can see the aliens on the other side or something and like she that i don't know she either sees them and freaks out and drops it or they like try to like look at her with a knife or something i don't really remember what happens but like i have like since then had this thing about like being afraid of doors with jams that are too high or not jams the bottom is too high uh and somebody might be looking at me under there and like i just realized that's from signs is like that fear is still lasting that is really interesting yeah 
I mean, the yeah, again, I haven't seen it, but I, the uh, the interesting thing about science is that it returns to the religious themes and the sort of you know religious uncertainty themes from Wide Awake, his pre Sixth Sense movie. I kind of feel like all the Shyamalan movies are about like what if these these you know supernatural ideas that people have are right, and what what's yeah. the actual follow through on that? Yeah, like what actually happens, um, which again, with old, he showed you like everything that could happen on a beach that makes you old, which I really appreciate. He did not leave many stones unturned. So Signs uh, was decidedly bigger than Unbreakable at the time, more universally liked, had a $60 million opening weekend. Um, which I think is, I think it's still his biggest and, and it's his still his second highest grossing movie after Sixth Sense. Damn. Okay. Around this time, Newsweek, uh, ran the now kind of infamous, there was a, an issue of Newsweek that had Shyamalan on the cover and said the next Spielberg. Oh, uh, wait, why is, why is that cover infamous? Well, because, you know, he, he, he didn't turn out to be the next Spielberg. <laughs> and oh, I think I in mean... the era where, in the era where people were, you know, shitting on him. That, that that was sort of a, a, a be careful what you wish for thing. Yeah, I guess, especially with the next movie being The Village, mm-hmm. uh, which I haven't seen, but I'm pretty sure got some some pretty bad reviews. It uh, did. Um, yeah. It's another one that I've heard a lot of praise for recently that makes me want to go and watch it again. People say it's this very uh, romantic kind of uh, movie at its core, but it's a um, it's definitely the moment where, like, public opinion starts to starts to sour on Shyamalan. Yeah. Which honestly L, L for the public. Yeah. <laughs> the you know, famously the the twist of this one is that it's a it's a it's like a nineteenth century village and there's sort of this seemingly supernatural thing happening there and the twist is that actually they're in the modern day. Yeah. It's about how um the Amish are bad. Well, <laughs> I can say that I'm from Pennsylvania, right? <laughs> so Shyamalan, <No>. so <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I've 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 heard that this is uh, one to look to take a second look at. So I'll definitely have to watch it eventually. It was interesting because like uh, the movie Women Talking, which is nominated for Best Picture this year, um, is sort of the same thing where it you know seems like this this you know 18th century 19th century thing and then halfway through it's like actually it's the modern day and they're like this this mennonite community um which was weird for me to see in something that's like just supposed to it's just supposed to be like a drama like a talky kind of drama and then they sort of do the exact thing the exact same twist as the village halfway through (laughs) yeah well i mean you know if uh you were living in a in the past and it was the modern day that that would be notable. Yeah. Us, us women would be talking about that. Yeah. I, I've i never heard of women talking. Um, well, I mean, like, like the concept. <laughs> right. I, I do that. Familiar. We're, we're, we're kind of doing that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. This this podcast is actually the movie Women Talking, and we have yeah. been nominated for Best Picture. Oh, that's really cool. Congratulations. <laughs> it's exciting stuff. <laughs> the Village was a financial success. Uh, and despite mixed reviews, it did get some award attention, particularly for James Newton Howard's score, which was definitely nominated for the Oscar. I, I don't think it won. 
Okay. Yeah, it was nominated, but I think this was the year that like um, Passion of the Christ won. Oh wow! But yeah, they, I, and James Newton Howard is a guy who did like all the Shyamalan scores up until a certain point, like the first five or six of them. Oh yeah, this got bad reviews. After the Village, he was attached to direct Life of Pi. Um, once again, he ultimately ended up doing another original, and that was done, that ended up being done by Ang Lee and getting nominated for Best Picture. He got asked to do Life of Pi, or he did Life of Pi. He was going to do Life of Pi, and then he did okay. Didn't. I, 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 okay, cool. What was the original? Um, the the next original that he did do was Lady in the Water. Oh, another one that I haven't seen but have heard is yeah. definitely worth seeing. Um, I. I think I watched that on, like, a a TV, like, a cable televised rerun with, like, commercials and stuff, you know? Like, mm-hmm. how we used to watch TV. Um, and, uh, wow, it's weird that that's not a thing I ever do anymore. Um, but, like, eh, I didn't hate it. Yeah. I didn't love it. The, um, it, it, it has a reputation for being a very, uh, weird sort of fairy tale story and one in yeah. which um Shyamalan the character that Shyamalan plays is like you know s- sort of architect of the whole world that you know people saw it as sort of self-centered oh yeah um I mean he does it again in old in a much more self-critical way yeah I think his his part in old is so good it's so it's it just at the end he it cuts to him basically directing the movie we just watched. Yeah, and the way that like there are those there are those little little shiny reflections from the top of the mountain like up until that point like we're yeah. we're getting those hints we know there's something up there and then it turns out to be Shyamalan directing it's, yeah, with it's, the it's M Night himself like let's go hello sir so good he also has a funny cameo a much like briefer and less interesting one but a funny one in knock at the cabin oh interest i'm i'm so excited to see this one i wish that i paid more attention to the release dates of things so disney was fully prepared to back lady in the water they were gonna do it but um executives complained that they didn't understand the premise (laughs) (laughs) that's i'm yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And Shyamalan uh, got upset about that. So even though they were going to pay for it anyway, Shyamalan ended up going to um, Warner Brothers. Okay. They gave him a $70 million budget, uh, off, of, off of which it made $72.8 million, so Whoa. it was <laughs> not a success. That is... That is not good at all. <laughs> not great. Um... I feel like it's, you know, it's almost impossible for a studio movie to, like, not make money at the end of the day. Like, I, you know, you're talking about it being on cable all the time, and obviously people are... I'm sure by now that movie has yeah. broken even, but, yeah. Yeah, that, uh... I, I heard something, like, a rule of thumb is that a movie's supposed to make, like, twice its budget or something. Yeah, that's the be, point like, where decently it's... decently profitable. Starts to be in the green, yeah. Yeah, so, like... Oof. It, uh, yeah, had, um, pretty poor reviews. People complained about the, the tone and the premise and the Shyamalan's role in it. Um, he took home the Razzie for Worst Director for that movie. And That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, there's been worse. Like, yeah. And uh, James Newton Howard once again received acclaim for his score. All right. Sounds like James Newton Howard at least has been killing it this whole time. Yeah, he's been <laughs> he's been one done. I wonder if he ever uh, he ever did get the Oscar. I assume not for a for a Shyamalan movie, but he did. Um, no, he's been nominated one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times for best original score or best original song and has never won jesus man oh it's just like they keep bringing him back just to like tell him no yeah it's like the thing with um diane warren where she will always she's a songwriter she will always get nominated for original song for a song that nobody's ever heard of from a movie nobody's ever heard of and then she doesn't win (laughs) that's so crazy (laughs) oh man so after that is the happening yeah. What happened with that is that he had the script. It was originally called The Green Effect. And then after Ooh. after Lady in the Water flopped, he was having trouble finding takers. And so for the first time, he actually took studio notes and he went back home to Philly oh. and rewrote it. Interesting. Okay. Um, I am glad it was not named The Green Effect mm-hmm. because that would have been... For a movie that's so on the nose, calling it the Green Effect, <laughs> yeah, would have been a tiny bit too much. The Happening is a is a really fun title, I think. Yeah, and very much it's in like, line with, you know, with those with those seven with those paranoid movies that are like them, you know. <laughs> Just, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, you yeah. Know. So, uh, it was picked up by Fox after he rewrote it, and. Um, they the budget was 50 million but they also did a a really extensive marketing campaign that was like Shyamalan is back um, yeah i remember that actually yeah they had they had trailers all over the place uh you know i think the first one debuted not at the super bowl but at some big uh football game and okay by this point, however, Shyamalan had developed this negative reputation in the press. Yeah, that's what I remember is like go, like going to see it because I was excited for Shyamalan to be back, you know? Yeah, and I think by this point, just like people, critics, writers, whatever, had like grievances with, with Shyamalan. They were going to go in. I mean, if you read the Atlantic's review, it's like not even a review. It's just a list of gripes. <laughs> man that's so rough yeah there were many publications including usa today that were rooting for the happening to fail like literally it's crazy like you you gotta let a guy have a shitty idea he was he like you you can't like he he slapped out like three bangers in a row you know and then like give him some time if he's gonna keep writing give him some time to write crap yeah and the thing is, like, the expect by the time the movie came out, everyone was like, this thing's gonna fail, you know, he's over the- everyone was rooting for him to fail. It it dramatically outperformed the expectation. They thought it was gonna do, like, 15 opening weekend, and it did 30 million. Despite overwhelmingly negative reviews, it ended up at 160 million, so not a not a blockbuster, but a, 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 a financial success. Yeah. And, um... I feel like even like maybe more so than any of the other Shyamalan movies of that era, The Happening has had a big reassessment. I think it deserves like somewhat of a reassessment because like it really was like he started taking things in a bit of a new direction with that. 
that I think he's developed quite well. Yeah, I think he's always been a super thoughtful director, but, you know, having not seen the, a bunch of the ones that we just went through, including The Happening, I, I, I just, you know, that seems like a point where he is starting to really put a lot of thought into, like, his his films. It, it, there, there's just more and more layers of context that seem to go into it. And I think about how knock at the cabin plays off of 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 some old school thrillers and the way this one the happening is a send up to like b movies i feel like he's you know not just really Mm. in depth with the characters but also the context in which his films exist yeah uh he's also moving from people at home in their own neighborhood to people on vacation Mm -hmm. Uh, that's true which is kind of a funny like new thing he's got going on that is funny. I'll have to. I don't know keep if it like. That. I don't know if. It, yeah, I don't know if it's like an important motif, but it is something I realize. And like putting somebody, making somebody go on vacation is like a, a very common and uh, good way to start a horror movie. Yeah, you're either on vacation or and then like at home is another. Yeah, exactly. So he's like, well, I did a bunch that were at home, and people got bored of those. So let's take it on the road. Yeah. After the happening, actually before the happening's release, Shyamalan already had his next project lined up, The Last Airbender. Oh, man. Oh. He signed with Paramount to direct a trilogy of films, one based on each season of the show. Oh, my God. Well, that didn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) I think I just did did a, well, that just happened, but the opposite. Okay. Well, that didn't happen. Um, Well, that didn't happen. The creators of the show say that they were shortchanged throughout the development process. They didn't want a live-action film to be made at all. They wanted yeah. to do it themselves if it was going to be made. And Understandable. They, they say that early on they had like productive conversations with Shyamalan, but they had some kind of falling out early on in the process that led to all of their stuff all of their stuff being like pushed out of the movie. Yeah, from everything you're telling me, it sounds like uh like especially you saying, um, after Lady in the Water was like the first time he took studio notes. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounded like he's like very protective of his like personal creative freedom and even creative control over Certainly. the things he works on, which like that doesn't sound like that'll mesh well with a, a pre established story. Yeah. And we'll get into how he started self financing his films, but. Yeah, I think part of it is that he had that script for Sixth Sense that people liked so much that they just sort of, like, let him run away with it. And then after that was such a hit, he, you know, he never really had to—he he, he sort of didn't really face pushback from studios until it yeah. reached that point of Lady in the Water. And I think that— um okay. As a director, he's, again, this, like, really—he really puts a lot of thought into, like, each shot, each— narrative beat each character yeah and so yeah it, it makes sense that he's not a very not as collaborative <laughs> as yeah some would like. i mean it might just like not be the type of thing he's like that works for him to direct you know yeah which is rough because like working with others is important mm-hmm. but movies are cool yeah new tagline movies are cool movies are cool yeah, so so basically, you know, once the creators were were pushed out, it was Shyamalan and Paramount kind of just just trying to, you know, turn this into something. 
Uh, during production, the word Avatar was removed from the title to avoid confusion with the James Cameron movie. That is also the oh, the, man. the reason the show was called Avatar The Last Airbender to begin yeah. with is because it was going to be just called Avatar, and then they were like, James Cameron's making a movie called Avatar. So they're like, okay, let's add The Last Airbender to it. Which is crazy, because like, Avatar The Last Airbender came out first. Yeah. It and was like, like it was like 2004 that they that also they did is that. better. Well, I haven't seen the show, so I I can't comment on that. I I love the show. I'm just saying, uh, Avatar was okay. Yeah. The movie, yeah, I like the second one a lot more. But yeah, I didn't see the second one. I am interested in seeing it. Also nominated for best picture. So yeah, on a budget of 150 million dollars. <laughs> Uh, The Last Airbender grossed $320 million. So, uh, it's, it's ah, profitable. Close. Profitable. Close, yeah. It was lambasted. Probably just because of the name recognition. Yeah, it had a big opening and all that. But it was lambasted by fans and critics alike. The film is often regarded as one of the worst of all time, with particular controversy mm-hmm. around its casting. Uh, Shyamalan defended the cast for including actors from across the globe, but there were few East Asians in the cast, and two of the three leads were white, so... That's so weird. Strange, like, yeah. <laughs> just like, like, not weird as in, like, it's so weird that racism happened. It's just like, like, when racism happens, it causes the final production to be kind of weird. Yeah. Like, yeah, anyway. It's very clear, I mean, like, if you look, you know... Again, like, if you, if you look at the entire cast, it's, like, really diverse and, you know, people from all different places. But it's mm-hmm. also, like, this is a textually, like, anime-influenced, you know, East Asian martial arts movie, and two of your three leads are white. <laughs> yeah. The same year as The Last Airbender, he also produced, but did not direct, Devil, uh, Supernatural Horror set in an elevator. Oh. Remember that? I saw that. I did see that. He, he what? He did not direct? He didn't direct, but he produced, and it was part of a deal that he was going to produce a bunch of uh, horror movies, and that didn't happen. Okay, I I I kind of liked Devil. Yeah, I remember I, of it. I think I did eventually see it. Um, yeah, it's a fun little fun little horror concept. It's the kind of thing that you know. Yeah. You look at things like Smile and Barbarian. It's like if you made Devil today, it would be you know one of the most talked about movies of the year. Yeah, probably. Like, um, well, that's just because we live in the fucking dark ages. Um, True. But, getting better, uh, but yeah, getting better. There's just a brief stint. We'll forget about it. Yeah, the 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 late tens were pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, a little empty, but it's cool. On August six, two thousand ten, just one month after the last Airbender, Shyamalan received a birthday greeting from Will Smith, oh. who also asked him to direct a film for him and his son. Wait, what was the film? This is After Earth. Oh wait. I never saw that. Will Smith initially conceived of After Earth as a present-day film, like like about a, a father and a son getting trapped in the mountains after a car crash, and it was only after devising the story, I think writing a draft of the script, that Will Smith decided it should be set a thousand years in the future. What the fuck? <laughs> that is that is a huge jump into change. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Shyamalan had a project in development with Bruce Willis, Bradley Cooper, and Gwyneth Paltrow that was unnamed. What? Uh, he dropped it in order to focus on After Earth. Do you have any information on what that might have been? Nothing at all. Fuck! 
Oh, I would love to know what he had cooking up with those guys. Yeah, I would love to see Bradley Cooper and Gwyneth Paltrow in a in a Shyamalan movie. I think they would do great yeah. stuff. Yeah, and him like he got he got Bruce Willis back on board. You know, that's his old guy. And then yeah. like Bradley Cooper and Gwyneth Paltrow would go crazy in a Shyamalan film. Absolutely. I, I actually well, think we got after Earth. Yeah, I'm actually like the more I think about it, like Gwyneth Paltrow is kind of the perfect actor to be in a Shyamalan movie. <laughs> yeah, she's like um, the Borzoi of people. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't think anyone should read too much into that because I'm just kind of talking. Yeah. Um, the script for After Earth went through a number of rewrites. Uh, including the thousand years in the future thing. It was originally, yeah. uh, just gonna be a vehicle for Jaden. It wasn't going to have Will Smith in it. And then Sony was consistently, like, as it was going through this relights, they were consistently like, let's get as much Will Smith in here as possible. Which makes sense. Like, nobody knew who Jaden was. Right. Well, he had had the Karate Kid, so he was kind of a bubbling, uh, name by that point. Um, I don't think I saw that. I did. It was okay. Um, I I think Sony was just like the the push of like Will Smith, Jaden Smith together after Jaden yeah. has become a star in his own right. They were like really into that. Yeah, that makes sense. It uh, had a marketing budget of over a hundred million dollars on top of a production budget of over a hundred million dollars. Um, Jesus Christ! The first trailer. This is just a tidbit. The first trailer featured the menu music from Deus Ex: Human Revolution. No way! Really? <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. Notably, promotional materials for After Earth largely did not mention that Shyamalan was directing it. Yeah, I actually had no idea until you told me just now. Yeah, it, um, I think, you know, at the time I was tuned in enough to be like, okay, this is a Shyamalan movie, but, um, yeah, there was, it was completely focused on the Will Smith and Jaden Smith aspect. Had Will Smith ever worked with Shyamalan before this? No. That's, I wonder why he chose him, or he asked him specifically. Yeah, I I feel like let me just do a quick peek and see if there's a little more to that story because the thing with the birthday message is really funny. Um, yeah, he's like, "Hey, happy birthday, bestie!" Also, do you want to make a movie for my son? Okay, so Smith and Shyamalan had planned to work on a film previously, and it had never worked. Okay. out. Okay, so he's like, "Oh shit." You know what? Let's do it. Um, there were also five uh, books that were released as part of the uh, supplemental tie-ins for the film. This includes like the novelization, but there were also like books that were just building out the world of After Earth. That is kind of crazy for something that like I don't feel like had that much of an impact. Yeah, it did make uh, two hundred and forty-three million. So likely just barely broke even at the box office yeah that's what it sounds like and and it had a a a pretty disappointing opening weekend too it only made like 27 million there so it was an an instant flop analysts say that sony made a mistake in not including Shyamalan's name in spite of his you know string of flops i think people had this idea that like people went in expecting just like an action movie and if they had seen Shyamalan's name on it they would have known to expect something a little more withdrawn yeah i'm actually kind of interested in watching it now like now that i know yeah me too i i I feel like it hasn't had the um reassessment that the other Shyamalan movies have so it's probably not that good but i mean i i would understand that because it doesn't sound like uh you know a Shyamalan original it sounds like it was 
more of like just wanting to work with Will Smith or like, I don't know. And we see how this was like originally Will Smith's idea and Sony was very involved in the process. It seems like this was the least, you know, hands-on for Shyamalan. Yeah, that's kind of what it sounds like. In 2014, Shyamalan announced a new film with Bruce Willis titled Labor of Love. Oh? That was set to shoot in Philly that fall. Uh, It never ended up getting made, probably because of this this string of flops and he was just having trouble you know seeing just 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 figuring out working as a director and being in hollywood and all that it seems like he just was kind of burnt out on it yeah he uh stepped away from film moved to tv did the series wayward pines which was uh highly acclaimed really yeah i've never heard of it i gotta check it out yeah it's it's a thing with tv now where just everyone has you know some series that got like 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and no one's ever heard of it. Um, That's kind of what it seems like. Well, because they're all sequestered to their different fucking streaming apps. And so you can't just flip around and find something. He he also now has a show on Apple called Servant that uh, people also say is very good. Oh, that's really cool. I've been uh, looking for a new show to watch. Yeah, me too. Because Succession and Riverdale are coming back in March. And so I'm sort of just like, I need something to watch for the next month. Let's go! Riverdale's coming back! Yeah, baby. We'll do a pod- I, I mean, there's going to be a, a podcast about that, for sure. Yeah, I- there's almost definitely already, like- We did a Riverdale episode that is, uh, one of my favorites of- of this show, and we'll probably do a- a recap for the season premiere also. Let's go, you gotta- I fucking love Riverdale. <laughs> it's great. I love it's it. It's so good. It is nonsense. Off the success of Wayward Pines, he was like, okay, let's let's get back into movies, maybe. Um, after a string of flops, he wouldn't be able to get a high-budget film made at the studio level. He was also, I think, kind of burnt out with those big budgets and big expectations and all that. He wanted something yeah. more stripped back. Um, he took out a $5 million loan against his own house and used that money Whoa. to make the indie horror film The Visit. That's really cool. Like, that's that's kind of badass. I don't know. Yeah. He um, chose to step out of his comfort zone on the visit. He worked with uh, found footage for the first time. He wrote the script without any kind of twist ending for the first time. And um, every major studio passed on, on the rough cut of the movie. Uh, he describes that one as having more of an art house tone. And he recut it into more of a comedy. And then Universal and Blumhouse picked it up. I uh I don't think I've heard of the visit. Yeah, it's like um it, it is a a vacation movie. It's about uh like kids visiting their grandparents and um the you know something's wrong with the grandparents or whatever. Oh, that sounds really cool. Two young siblings live with their single divorced mother. After finding their grandchildren online wanting to meet them, the grandparents invite them to spend a week at their farmhouse while their mother goes on a cruise with her boyfriend. During their stay, the siblings notice the grandparents behaving strangely, and they set out to find the truth behind the goings-on at the house. (laughs) Oh, man. You know what? I am going to watch that tonight—actually, I probably shouldn't watch that tonight. I am alone in a big house, and I might get scared. Yeah, (laughs) that is probably true. Um, <laughs> against a five million dollar budget, the visit grossed ninety eight million dollars. Oh man, yeah. that is a 
good get back. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, also received uh, very positive reactions from critics and audiences. Shyamalan says that he kept a list of all the executives who turned down the visit, and most of them <laughs> have since been fired. Oh my god, that's... <laughs> Fuck! I think I just blew out my mic with my left there for a second. <laughs> yeah. That was, that's, oh man, he kept a list just so he could check back and say, haha, you fuck all of you. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't he already know, like, the problem with executives getting fired over his movies? Like, come on. <laughs> Great stuff. Oh, that's so cool. He's so catty. And so after the the success of the visit, he decided to self-finance his next film also, Split. Oh, no. So, yeah, Split revolves around this character played by James McAvoy, who has these different personalities. Um, that character was originally conceived during the writing of Unbreakable. He was going to, like, have his own whole subplot in Unbreakable, and then Shyamalan was just like, this oh. is too much. That's why he brought him into Glass. Yeah. The one thing about Split is, like, it's pretty clearly supernatural, you know? Like, the guy walks on walls. Yeah. Personalities can't make you walk on walls. It's true. And, you know, I think the, um, the, like, crossover with the the ultimate reveal that it is, that it is unbreakable kind of, you know, furthers that. But really the whole time it's, it's, you know, clearly yeah. not just, just, just a mental health thing. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I think there was, to some level, I think Shyamalan might have try been trying to avoid too much of like sensationalizing a uh, uh, like a mental illness. Um, but like, yeah, it's just it's kind of hard to do something that basically does just use that mental illness as a plot device without, yeah, just using that mental illness as a plot device. Yeah, <laughs> I can't. I can't say that I'm uh, overall positive on Split, but I do think it's uh, well directed and interesting, and has a great yeah, uh, it's an performance at its center. Yeah, I, I completely agree. In order to use Bruce Willis for the film's final twist, Shyamalan came to a gentleman's agreement with Disney that um, he he could use the characters from Unbreakable for free, but when if he did make Glass, Disney would would be the 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 studio on it. Okay, that's kind of funny. I fucking hate studios. Yeah, it's funny stuff. Like, they just, they get their grubby little paws on your ideas, and then it's their ideas, and you have to pay them to use your own fucking idea. Yeah. One of the funniest ones we talked about was with, um, in our Silence of the Lambs episode, we talked about how uh, Jonathan Demme had to, like, get this one-time agreement from Dino De Laurentiis, who is the producer on Manhunter, the first uh, movie that had uh, Hannibal Lecter in it. And so Dino oh. kept those rights, and he was like, you can have it just for this movie for free, and because he wasn't doing anything with them. But now, Hannibal Lecter and the characters from Silence of the Lambs can never be in the same thing, because they're controlled by different studios. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. So Hannibal couldn't have Clarice in it, and the Clarice show couldn't have Hannibal in it. Honest, what well, that's insane. I didn't know there was a Clarice show, but I mm -hmm. I do not understand how it could work without Hannibal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like she is that okay? That's fine. 
Uh, so Split, again, Shyamalan self-financed it for $9 million. It um, took home... It was estimated that it was going to take home 20 to $25 million opening weekend. It ended up doing 40 Oh, wow. He, you know, he does good on uh, making money on those bargain ones. Absolutely. And um, it was his first film to spend three weeks at number one since The Sixth Sense. Wow. Okay. I'm so, I'm kind of surprised. Yeah. It, it, it kind of didn't have that, like lasting cultural impact i think because it was controversial but um yeah yeah it was a hit i kind of thought the i mean i guess controversy does sell mm-hmm. um i kind of thought i don't know that like it would have had lower views because of that but maybe i just have a little too much I-, I watched it so i mean not in theaters but like yeah i guess i can't really say anything Overall, it grossed two hundred and seventy-nine million dollars again on a budget of nine million. <laughs> Jesus Christ! It is uh, his most profitable film uh, and his most acclaimed film behind The Sixth Sense. Wow, that's great. Split is yeah, that's crazy to me. I I don't know. That's cool for him. Uh, that's crazy to me. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily agree. Um, James McAvoy won best actor from the san diego film critic society for that uh performance that's fair i mean he did a, he had a really good performance great performance yeah Shyamalan's next film made good on splits twist uh merging it with unbreakable for the combined sequel finale glass yes i honestly glass was crazy yeah there was always like there were always talks about doing a sequel to Unbreakable, and Disney was always not got like like Shyamalan would always be like Disney doesn't really want to do it because um, it was kind of a disappointment. But then after Split, you know, obviously Disney made this deal, and suddenly they were like, let's do a sequel to Unbreakable. <laughs> yeah, they were like, well, it worked out, so yeah, yeah. I, I'm like, I kind of uh, in this one case. I kind of agree with Disney's choice to not do a sequel to Unbreakable. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I'm kind of, I'm a little bit anti-sequel, if I'm being completely honest. Sure. Uh, but like, obviously the reasons that they didn't want to do it was just because they were afraid of losing money. Yeah. And have they have no kind of feelings towards art. Yeah, I think Glass uh, doesn't really work at the end of the day. Um, no. It's sort of a thing that a lot of critics said that, like, the meta ideas that it has about, like, sequels and superhero movies and Shyamalan's own career are interesting, but the, like, surface level actual narrative of the movie is not. Yeah, that's kind of the thing. Also, the ending is a little convoluted. Yeah. I can barely remember what the ending was, but I know it was, I was like, yeah, I don't really remember it very well. I remember sort of just uh, bits and pieces, but it was... I didn't hate it, but I, I I didn't think it really came together. Yeah, that's basically how I ended up feeling. I I mean, I, I liked seeing more Unbreakable content as much mm-hmm. as I'm against sequels. Like, I did think it was cool in that respect. Uh, so I'm kind of contradicting myself, but like... Why, on principle, I'm kind of against sequels. Like, I do like my slop. Yes, indeed. So, Shyamalan self-financed this one. Also, he self-financed everything since the visit. Um, wow. Wait, including old? Including old and knock at the cabin. Yeah. Oh, I love this guy. Okay, that's cool as hell. Yeah. 
Um, the film Glass was a box office success. It had a 40 million opening weekend, 250 overall, uh, on a $20 million budget. Um, Shyamalan says another film in the franchise will not be happening and that he, quote, has no interest in building a cinematic universe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, kind of came in at a time when that might, yeah, not feel good to make. Yeah. (laughs) That's really funny. Good for him. Yeah. So after that came Servant, his acclaimed ongoing Apple TV Plus series. And yeah, what's that about? Uh, I don't know. It's like there's a, there's a fucked up baby or something. <laughs> Let me see if I can get a little summary here. I'm gonna... A wealthy Philadelphia couple experience, experience a fracture in their marriage after the death of their 13-week-old son, Jericho. The couple undergo transitory object therapy using a lifelike reborn doll after Dorothy experiences a full psychotic break. The doll, which she believes to be her, full, her real child, was the only thing that brought her out of the catatonic state following Jericho's death. Six weeks after his death, they hire a young Danny to move in and take care of Jericho, the reborn doll, opening their home to a, quote, mysterious force. That's not Rupert. Oh, it is Rupert Grant. Shit, I'll watch it to see what he's up to. I know all those kids ended up being not shitty people, so that's cool. Yeah, and he's in um, Knock at the Cabin also. Oh, really? Yeah. Is he like, uh, does he have a big part in it? He has a pretty big part, yeah. He is um, doing very weird stuff that I don't think fully works, but he is like just, just sort of magnetic on screen. Awesome, that sounds cool. Yeah. Man, I wish I watched that this week. Hey. Go and see it. <laughs> yeah, I gotta. Following Split and Glass, Universal signed Shyamalan for a two-picture deal, the first of which was Old. Yeah, yeah, Old. Old Old. Old is so old good. Old fucking rules. Old is so good. It was Shyamalan's first adaptation since The Last Airbender, being taken from the Swedish graphic novel Sandcastles. I did not know that it was an adaptation. That's really cool. Yeah, I, I think with all his adaptations, he, you know, chooses deliberately to do something very different. Yeah, it, which I think is a good idea. Um, a- adapting things, like, uh, faithfully can can be a really double-edged sword. Yeah, especially when you're someone like Shyamalan, who has such a distinctive style. Yeah, you kind of, like, need to subsume a lot of the stuff into, like, your style with that. Old was shot during the pandemic in the Dominican Republic with uh, Shyamalan paying for 10-week hotel stays for the entire crew and that way ensuring that uh, there were zero COVID cases. Oh my god, cool. Good for him. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, Old was scheduled to release in February 2021, got moved to July 2021 at the outset of the pandemic. Um, Pretty unusual for a movie to like get moved at the start of the pandemic and then actually keep that date. That was uh, surprising to see, but it did yeah. come out that July. Uh, it's a good time. That's like right after everybody got vaxxed, right? Well, yeah, came after out, came, the initial. <laughs> after the initial vax, yeah. It, it came out at a good moment. Um, you know, I think there was the Fast and Furious movie before that, but it was like that first summer. And I remember it yeah. being talked about, you know, like my, my younger siblings' friends were talking about that movie. So it was definitely like a bit of a thing. Yeah, that one, uh, that one like is still like, I mean... It's a lot of it's like memed, you know. It's like I'm going to the beach that makes you old. Beach uh, makes you old, yeah. Yeah, some guy I know from Twitter loves to make uh, jokes about that. Um, yeah, and I feel like those jokes kind of led people to be like, "This must be a silly movie that I don't need to see." Yeah, I feel like when I tell people old is really good, they're like, "Really? 
Yeah, because it's it's such a meme. You wouldn't like think it, but like it's really it's like it's got it's layered. It's like really subtle and like it's really tight. All of the like yeah. everything the kids say, even though it's like perfectly in line with like how a kid just kind of rambles on. It like it comes back, like yeah. it becomes like an important part of the story. Yeah, really cool. I I feel like the um the thing I've heard said about old is that it's the only it's what it's a rare thing that succeeds in like keeping that Twilight Zone feeling for more than a half an hour. Yeah, it's very like it. I don't. Yeah, it does a really good job of like because he just keeps showing you. All of, like all of the different examples of what could happen. Yeah, and it like is like pretty soon. Like once we get to the beach, it's pretty soon that we know what it does. But then we're just seeing all the different possible fallouts from that. Yeah, it's not like they spend too like long trying to figure it out. I mean, when they have the discussion about it, uh, it kind of is like a. Let's explain to the audience what's happening. You know, like, let's turn to the camera and make sure everyone's on the same page here. Um, but, like, yeah. also, like, a group of, like, reasonably intelligent people could kind of deduce that, you know? But, again, the the audience should be that group, I think, in a lot of time, a lot of the time. And it's also, like, they don't, you know... It's not like they find out what the beach does and then they find, like, a spot that does something else. Or, a new like, it, it stays on the beach, yeah, it, 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 like, sticks to that focus. Yeah, and sort of plays it out all the way before it's like, now, let's see what's really going on. Yeah, um, also, it's very cool. He he brought a twist in where, like, again, it, it like, even without the twist, it is a very good movie. Actually, like, I, I don't think the twist adds or takes away from the movie that much, except for um, kind of pushing home some of his, like, social messaging that he had in that yeah i feel like i like the twist because i just feel like it's it's such a mysterious thing that was like they had to have something happen that's like you know with 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 the like flashes from the mountain and all that they had to have something that was like yeah what's going on and so i feel like they pulled it off in the best way they could have yeah and i also like you know um uh something that's like a little different from a lot of his other twists is like it is very heavily, uh, heavily telegraphed beforehand, you know? Whereas, like, in The Sixth Sense, you go back and you're like, oh, okay, that's why his wife, like, that's why Bruce Willis's wife wouldn't acknowledge him at the dinner table, you know? But in the moment, you feel like, uh, she just hates him. But in old, you, like, you know somebody's observing, and so you kind of have to figure out why. Yeah. Uh, also, okay, wait, um... I, I old has a lot of plot holes that like whatever um but like the one plot hole that that I actually got a little bothered by but like I understand would be completely impossible to pull off is that uh their fingernails and hair should be like exploding out of their bodies uh, they they address that directly. Jaren says, well, maybe it's because the cells in our hair and nails is dead, and so that's why they're not affected. But that's not how the hair... The hair doesn't form by the dead cells getting longer. It's, it's new cells being pushed up out through your scalp, at which point they, like, die and harden to become hair. So, right. like, their hair should be exploding out of their heads. Yeah, 
yeah. I just want to I just want to say that it is that scientifically that should be happening. You could not make it work in a movie. Yeah, and that's sort of an element where I'm like, I like to think that the beach is magic, even though they have this sort of half-assed scientific explanation for it. I feel like, yeah, at the end of the day, it's a magic beach. Yeah, it, it's like it's definitely very. Yeah, and that's like, in line yeah. with with I think a lot of Shyamalan's thoughts on like you know god and mysticism throughout his movies i feel like there are always like scientific explanations that are brought up but there's also always an element that's like it's just magic yeah it's like uh like even in signs there's like uh like how did um the like uh, i don't remember who the woman is who says swing away in the beginning but like how could she know you know Mm -hmm. that he would need to use the bat to kill aliens and like maybe she didn't but like yeah he's always got like a a more magical element along with his Mm sci-fi which is very good i mean i'm a big dune fan which is very much similar in having magic along with sci-fi so old had uh the lowest opening of shaman's career with uh 17 million but it ultimately made you know a post-pandemic it had a very impressive Mm post-pandemic debut and overall it did 90 on an 18 million dollar budget so it was definitely a success all right that's good uh also you know post vax yeah but it's like you know if you look at like what original movies made money that year like old is basically the the biggest success story oh yeah old uh old is great everyone should watch it yes that's my opinion so in 2017, Film Nation optioned Peter Tremblay's novel, The Cabin at the End of the World, for an adaptation before the book had actually come out. That's how it tends to go. Oh, weird. Yeah, this this has come up I every time we've done an adaptation. We did like Love, Simon, Silence of the Lambs, like I said, and it's always like the studio picked it out before it even came out. How How do they make that decision? Well, they get sent you know like like a a proof they just get sent like the text you know um from from like the publisher to be like hey if you want to make a movie out of this so they're basically just going off of that but they have no idea if the book will be successful or not really that's honestly kind of crazy to me (laughs) yeah i mean at a certain point i think you know if the book comes out and it's kind of a flop they just sort of quietly don't release it yeah that makes sense uh it is it is a little insane how like everything is done before anybody has an actual opinion or like can view the content itself yeah i guess they can view some of the content it just i don't know it feels weird uh writers steve desmond and michael sherman penned a script uh which was you know being the, the whole thing with uh knock at the cabin is that it was like a secret adaptation of this book like the script came out yeah. and people were saying it's a good script and then Shyamalan came on but it like no one knew it was based on the book until Paul Tremblay came out and said it in like July of last year. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, is the book like, do you know anything about the book? I know, uh, quite a bit about the book. I haven't read it in full, but I've read like bits and pieces of it to see how different it is from the, uh, from the movie. And I know that it's a Mm -hmm. pretty successful book. Okay. Uh, would you say like the movie feels like, um, kind of like its own story in comparison yeah like after act one it becomes a completely different thing okay cool because uh, honestly that's something i liked about i am legend um mm-hmm. is that the 
movie was like basically an entirely different story than the book. Uh, yeah. So like I could enjoy both on their own separate merits. Yeah, I think uh fans of the book have kind of been disappointed in the movie because it changes the ending so drastically and the book has this, you know, very ambiguous kind of bittersweet ending. Um but like I said, I think Shyamalan's ending is very thoughtful in in its own ways and um yeah, yeah it makes a lot of sense. I'm excited to see it. Yeah, it's good. Uh, Man, Shyamalan, he had a huge run of flops, though. <laughs> he did. He had, uh, you know, um, I mean, Village made money, but it was like Lady in the Water happening, Last Airbender, After Earth. Yeah. Um, so Shyamalan came in, rewrote the script. This was part two of his two-picture deal with Universal, so uh, he's a, a free agent now, although he has another Universal coming movie coming out, I guess. I think he already, yeah, it's coming out April of next year. <laughs> Oh man, he really is just like, he is going, he's going back to just spitting everything out. He's going sicko mode. He's going sicko mode and we love to see it. Um, it's on track to be quite profitable. Once again, it was self-financed, I think about 20 million on this one, uh, same as old and, uh, maybe a little less. And, um, it's already made 27 just in the past two weeks. So it's definitely going to be very profitable at the end of the day. Uh, it was also wow. the first movie to, I guess just one week. It was also the first movie to break Avatar's seven week streak at the box office. Uh, like as beating it? Yeah, it was the, it was the first one to be number one since Avatar The Way of Water came out. Let's go. He absolutely, his, his old enemy defeated just in a different <laughs> form. Wow. That's true. It, it was a thing where like, it it had the weakest opening for for a Shyamalan movie, but it was, it was like in addition to the Avatar thing, it also faced competition from Eighty for Brady, which was doing this. There's this thing with oh Eighty for Brady. My God, Eighty for Brady. Yeah, that is. A, I saw a preview for that when I went to see Glass Onion, and mm-hmm. I it blew my mind. Yeah, it's out, and I've heard it's pretty good. Why would it be good? <laughs> how how could it it is it uh, from what i understood from the previews it looks like a an a feature length super bowl commercial sunsetting tom brady's career like yeah I, that's amazing i'm not going to pay to see that shit but i will watch it when it's on something well, that's the thing. Uh, old and or Knock at the Cabin and Eighty for Brady both did uh, like fourteen opening weekend last week, so they were pretty neck and neck. But the thing is, Eighty for Brady had this bizarre, un- unheard of scheme where Paramount partnered with theaters all over the country to charge less for tickets for Eighty for Brady. Because, yeah, because it's a commercial. It's not a movie. There's, there's no fucking way 80 for Brady is a movie. 80 for Brady has discounted tickets all over the country and will continue to have discounted tickets for its entire theatrical run. Yeah, because who the fuck wants to be full price to see 80 for Brady? It is, like, who came up? Tom Brady probably came up with this, like, or like, oh my god, like, it's insane. Yeah, I just do, uh, it's a crazy thing. And it had a bigger budget than Knock at the Cabin, too. 
<laughs> well, yeah, because they had to get Tom Brady, I guess. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, it's got crazy. a stacked, it's got a stacked cast too, but, uh, it's, yeah. um, yeah, 62 on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, 62 for 80 yeah. for Brady? For 80 for Brady, yeah. There's a, uh, there's a lot, uh, this is blowing my mind, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, who even has the time to write a review of 80 for Brady? Like, (laughs) it is, I, like, I have been thinking about why, why would anybody make this since I saw the trailer and I've come to no conclusions. (laughs) Yeah, you'll have to see it to find out. Yeah. But yeah, and now Shyamalan has, uh, again, an as-yet-untitled movie set for next year, so he is definitely back on the horse. And I think it's really cool, this whole thing, where it was like he had these big studio movies that weren't working for him, and he actually, you know, sat down and said, I'm going to finance all my own movies because I need there to be, like, a risk to making it. And he's, you know, had, had tremendous success doing that. Yeah, it seems like having a lower budget and, like you know, uh, investing more of himself in it, like, has really paid off. And, like, after, yeah, after old, like, uh, I'm I'm excited about Knock at the Cabin, um, and so, like, I- I'm probably going to be hyped to see whatever he's got coming next. I'm actually surprised at how many M. Night Shyamalan movies I've seen, uh, like, talking through on this podcast. I've, I think I've seen most of them. Yeah, I've got I've got a lot to catch up on. But yeah. Um, yeah, he I think is just one of the most like thoughtful directors working right now. I think he has such a distinctive style with his yeah. dialogue and the performances he gets out of his actors and the way he uses the camera is just like I today I just I just like it when someone knows how to use a camera in a movie, but yes. Shyamalan is, you know, just just on another level in terms of like how how much thought goes into each shot yeah uh it it really like um i feel like you know a lot of movies of his like really bear watching twice because you get to see like a lot of the choices he made and like you can kind of see how he came to them and it's really cool yeah, I, I just think about that scene in Old where she's, like, losing her hearing, and it's just that, like, mm-hmm. that, like, 45-second shot where the camera's just rotating around her, and the sound is traveling from, like, one side to the other, and we're hearing the ringing. Yeah. It, it, I, I mean, he's great. Yeah. Um, also, he's, he's, like, definitely one of the guys who, like, comes up with the most original concepts, you know? And, you know, always doing these, the, these original things too. I mean, even when he's done like one or two adaptations, like, like he's, he's, he's always, you know, starting fresh and like telling the story he wants to tell. And we see these themes yeah. of like, I don't know, religion. And so my, my high school film t- teacher, her like 10 year old son, watched uh one of the Shyamalan movies and was like i'm noticing this motif of glass in a lot of his movies and it's like <laughs> he, he's just a guy this is before glass was announced by the way he's he's just a guy who Whoa. you know ha- has like like he's, he's just brimming with ideas and i love to see it yeah he uh it's really cool i i like always appreciate seeing somebody who can come up with original ideas and then like follow through on them 
Absolutely. And he, he follows through. So thank you so much for joining me on this episode. It's been a really great conversation. Uh, I wanted to give you space to plug anything that you'd like to plug before we sign off. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, well, thank you for having me on. This has been a lot of fun. Um, I would just say uh, everybody go to shirtbimbo.com. Um, right. That is my website, uh, and that is my moniker on this episode, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I sell custom custom booty shorts. I sell custom sweatpants and uh, a lot of original designs, um, mostly weird trans shit. That's right. I just ordered uh, a shirt. I already have one, but I just ordered another one. Ooh, thank you. Wait, wait, which one did you get? I got uh, Transgender Tranny Chaser, which is just a great Let's design. Let's go. I love that one. It's a great design. I, it, it's always a thing when I'm looking through the store where I'm like, what? what's what? the occasion where I would wear this, you know? <laughs> oh my god, yeah, that's that's one of the big struggles with uh, with my shop, is that, you know, there are, a lot of the designs limit where you can wear them. But it's great. I mean, I, 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 I'll, I'll get a lot of use out of it either way. So, um, thank you so much. Yeah, and to those who've been listening, uh, thank you so much for sticking with us. Uh, if you like the show, you can subscribe or rate or whatever, wherever you're listening to it. It's on, you know, Apple and Spotify and Amazon and everywhere else you get podcasts. Um, and you can, uh, share it, let people know you like it. That's one of the best things you can do. And, uh, yeah, next time we'll be talking about, uh, something else that's going to be a lot of fun. And I don't know exactly what it's going to be yet, but it'll be one of two things and you'll just have to wait and see. I disagree, Gary. I disagree, Gary.